afternoon from Berkeley, California. I'm Franklin, and this is the Berkeley Rock Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. I'm Charles Lee. Coming up on today's show, bloody estrogen. In addition, we'll be joined by Don Tapscott, who will talk about Wikinomics. So, stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And the world famous question of the week. Coming right up. I'm Frank Ling. And I guess that makes me Charles Lee. How are you doing, Frank? Pretty awesome. Uh, welcome back, Charles. It's not like I've really been anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> on the internet, we're only, what, 0.1 second away from each other, right? I, th- I think so. Well, in on the internet, we're 0.1 seconds away from everyone. Yes, and with enough hard drive, we live forever. <laughs> I've been looking for a good hard drive since mine's a little floppy. Oh, uh, so 640 gla- key is not enough for you? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I've consulted 3M, and I moved to GlaxoSmithKline. <laughs> Hopefully one of those will be able to help me. I'm not sure which one. Depends. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's for, I guess, a little later in life. <laughs> okay, so speaking about hard drives and hormones... <laughs> I knew this was going somewhere. It always does. <laughs> and usually it's someplace we really don't want to go, but we're gold there anyway. <laughs> yes, and, and it turns out that um, estrogen is the culprit. Yes. I've always thought estrogen was a culprit. It surrounds us, it finds us. Yes. <laughs> and it's killing our fish. Is it because of the estrogen we're dumping into the uh, lakes and sewers, etc.? Yes, estrogen that we are not intentionally dumping, but from all the excess birth control that people use. So one form of birth control relies on using high amounts of estrogen to prevent females from becoming pregnant. But it turns out a lot of the estrogen molecules just stay intact and they get flushed out of the toilet. You know, with the minuscule waste, there's only partial treatment. A lot of the chemicals or organic compounds still remain intact and will go into the wildlife. And so it turns out fish in northwestern Ontario, especially the minnows, have been decimated because of so much estrogen in the lake now that male fish are becoming feminized and eventually they're just not sustaining their populations anymore. And this is actually hurting the bigger fish populations which rely on the minnows for their food. So estrogen is destroying the whole ecosystem. This sort of thing's been happening for a while now, all these hormones dumping into the ecosystem. Obviously is changing a good fraction of behavior, first of all, and I guess the ecosystems generally. Yeah, I mean, it's been known that a lot of these hormones are synthetic or otherwise are affecting the ecosystem, mm-hmm. but this is just another study affirming this. Well, it's good to have more studies affirming that. <laughs> so is abstinence the key to this? Uh, I think it's just going to hermaphroditic means of reproduction. And, of course, this comes from our very favorite journal. <laughs> Ignore it. I don't think we, you know, we should just read that journal, because everything good is in that journal. Of course, it's the proceedings. Of the National Academy of Sciences. Penis. All right, so are you hot-blooded? Well, I don't think I'm angry enough to be hot-blooded, but (laughs) for some people, I guess it's in their genes. Keep cool, don't sweat it, and go with what your blood says. Indeed. Blood is with me. (laughs) Right. And of course, really what I'm talking about here is your blood type. Oh, okay. So as we all know, there's four primary blood types, the A, B, A, B, and O. Uh Uh-huh. 
And what determines that is the antigens that are on the surface of the blood cell. Right. If you get the wrong blood type, say, during a transfusion, then your body will attack it because it recognizes it as foreign. So a number of researchers are quite interested in seeing if they could actually strip away the antigens from the type A, B, and AB mm-hmm. to turn it into type O. Okay. It's sort of the universal acceptor blood type. Right. And would help during blood shortage crises. Mm. Uh, and so there have been a number of attempts to try and do this, and recently a group led by Henrik Clausen, a glycobiologist at the University of Copenhagen in Denmark, and a team of scientists at ZymeQuest have discovered a method for actually doing this. Look to nature to see if there are enzymes that could actually strip away these antigens. Okay, so that means we would have a universal blood supply then. That's the hope. Really, I guess the problem is when blood shortages run really low and you really need this sort of system. But yeah, uh-huh. it's good at least for anybody who needs a type of blood in like a lot of Asian countries, uh, there's this perception that there's a correlation between blood type and personality. It's very common knowledge to find out the blood type of your favorite movie star or your baseball player. It's like publicly available knowledge. So now with this enzyme, uh, you could strip <laughs> away all that and everyone would have no personality. Ah, like me. <laughs> Brilliant. It was quite uh, interesting. They actually had to screen through 2,500 different kinds of bacteria and fungi before they found the two enzymes that really worked really well. Okay. But quite fascinating, and if anyone's interested in these enzymes, uh, it was published in a recent edition of Nature Biotechnology. And that's all for a look at recent developments in the world of science and technology. This is the Berkeley Grox Science Show. Well, coming up in just a few minutes, Don Tapscott will join us to discuss Wikinomics. So stay tuned. Rock's Science Show. Well, in the age of the internet, mass collaboration is everywhere. Once relegated merely to the role of consumers of goods and information, people now have vast opportunities to co-create the items that they use. But how is this new model affecting business, and what can they do to survive and thrive? This is the subject of the book Wikinomics, How Mass Collaboration Changes Everything. The author, Dan Tapscott, is chief executive of the international think tank New Paradigm. He is the author of several influential works, including Growing Up Digital and the international bestseller Paradigm Shift. He is also an adjunct professor of management at the University of Toronto. Professor Tapscott, thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. My pleasure. You know, the idea of mass collaboration obviously has been around for a long time, but in the book you argue that technological advances have made this really viable as a business model. Well, that's correct. That when people think of collaboration, they think, think of a bunch of people sitting around having a nice meeting or something or talking on the phone or whatever. But now, thanks to the new web or the so-called Web 2.0, collaboration can occur on an astronomical scale. And it can also occur outside the boundaries of traditional corporations, not just to create a gardening community or hook up online or something like that, but we're seeing the rise of a whole new mode of production. So if you can create an encyclopedia with a bunch of people who've never met, actually arguably millions of people, and the quality is just as good as Britannica, uh, what else could you create? Well, it turns out you can create an operating system, Linux. It's now the dominant operating system for medium and large computers. Application software, 
there are 150,000 open source application projects underway today. You can create a mutual fund, marketocracy, or a bank, ZOPA, or a physical good like a motorcycle. The Chinese motorcycle industry is hundreds of little companies that cooperate, and they meet in tea houses and on the Internet, and they put all this stuff together. There's no OEM. There's no Harley or Yamaha pulling all the strings. And this is now the largest motorcycle industry in the world. So this is a big change to the way that we orchestrate capability, really, in society to create goods and services. It's interesting that you mentioned the Chinese motorcycle company because some might think that this particular model might only be best for information, but you argue it's also good for physical goods as well. The example that I gave of Wikipedia is one of the seven types of new business models that are enabled by the web. We call it the peer pioneers, where peers can come together and produce things. But there are many other types. I mean, one is what we call ideagora. These are like the Greek and Roman agora, an open market for ideas or for innovation or for intellectual property. So Procter & Gamble is looking for a molecule that will take red wine off a shirt. They have 9,000 scientists inside their boundaries and a million five outside that they can get to now that are organized into ideagoras. So you do the math, you know, where's it more likely they'll find the molecule? And sure enough, there's a retired chemist in Berkeley or a grad student in Taipei that comes up with a molecule, and they come up with Tai to go. And, and half of all of P&G's innovations this year will come from outside the company. Again, this is not just about bits. This is about changing the way that we innovate, the way that we create physical goods and services. So obviously this uh, requires a bit of a change in how businesses approach how they do business. How easily do you think it would be for entrenched hierarchical type of businesses to shift to this type of model? It's tough because we have these four new principles of economics that are actually driving success in many industry sectors. Well, I'll just give you an example of one that you would kind of never think of, and that's the mining business. There's a company called Goldcorp, and the, a banker named Rob McEwen took over the company, became the CEO. I know this guy, actually, because he's my neighbor. And he was very frustrated because his geologist couldn't tell him uh, if he had any gold and where it was. And he was ready to shut the company down, but he was also a curious guy. And he began to wonder, well, if my people don't know, maybe somebody else does. So he did a very radical thing. In the mining industry, your, your most secret intellectual property is your geological data. It's kept in safes and high-security computer systems. He took his geological data, and he published it and held a contest on the Internet called the Gold Corp Challenge. Half a million dollars for anybody who can tell me, do I have any gold, and if so, where is it? And he got submissions from all around the world, 77 of them. They used techniques that he'd never heard of. And for his half-million-dollar investment, he found $3.4 billion worth of gold. And the value of his company went from $90 million to close to $10 billion. And I can tell you, because he's my neighbor, he's a happy camper. So what's going on here is that he's adopted these four principles of economics. The first is peering. He didn't think, well, I need a better head of geology or a better, stronger hierarchy or I need to fire some people or get better business processes or something. He wondered, who are their peers? In fact, many of the best submissions didn't come from geologists. They came from everything from mathematicians, computer scientists, chemists. Secondly, he shared his intellectual property, unthought of, unheard of in that industry. Third, he was open. For example, he was transparent. He stood up in front of the world and he said, I'm the CEO of this gold mining company and 
I don't know if we got any gold, but we're going to find out. And people trusted him. And fourth, he didn't think global and act local. He acted globally. He viewed the world as his geology department. He increased the value of his company by an order of magnitude. All four of these principles obviously are sort of antithetical to the typical way of doing business. Uh, yeah, are they ever? <laughs> do you think then that a company could adopt these four principles? Well, it, a lot of it's tough. You know, really sharing. I mean, that sounds communist. And you've had people like Bill Gates say it is. And you kind of understand their point initially that you take something, you place it in the commons. Doesn't that undermine the legitimate right of companies to make a profit? I mean, didn't Linux hurt Microsoft? And MP3 hurt the record labels, and Wikipedia hurt Britannica. But what we found in the research, we, we did like $9 million worth of research leading up to this thing. We found that really sophisticated companies understand that you need a portfolio of intellectual property, some that you own and some that you share. I'm not suggesting you share everything or even most things. But by sharing... All kinds of good things can happen. I mean, the Gold Corp example is a good one, or the human genome. They put the genome in the commons, the biotech companies, and a rising tide is lifting all boats. You could call it getting smart about business strategy and not just sort of relying on the old rules and old syphilis. You mentioned um, things such as the drug discovery industry, where a lot of it does rely on sort of proprietary data. How much of that really could be uh, shifted to a model where all this is open and shared? Well, the answer is it depends huh. on every industry and on every company. But th this is fundamental stuff about business strategy. You know, where do we share? Where do we compete? How can we move from being a multinational to a global corporation? How could we harness peer production and this amazing capability that exists outside the company? You know, IBM is a great example. I mean, rather than fighting Linux, they embraced it. And what happened was they gave away hundreds of millions of dollars of IP, so they shared. And they peer produced an operating system rather than doing it themselves, saving them $900 million a year in developing and maintaining a proprietary operating system, and they created a platform, Linux, upon which they built a multi-billion dollar business. And oh yeah, they stuck it to Microsoft on the way. So again, this is about being smart and about thinking in a little more sophisticated way about how to run a business. And it's understanding that we now have a new global platform for collaboration that changes many of the rules of how you run a successful business. Uh, you mentioned early in the book Coase's famous theorem of transaction costs. Certainly one might think that there would be some transaction costs that would be lowered by the new technology and some that still benefit from hierarchical-type organizations. Totally. Coase's argument, of course, was he said the reason that we have vertically integrated corporations that do everything from soup to nuts is that transaction costs outside the boundaries of the corporation are greater than within where you can have business processes and structures and reward systems and, and all the rest. Because of, not forget the Internet, just way back, I mean, you know, transportation systems, trucking, the telephone, telex, primitive computer systems, all of these drop transaction and collaboration costs. And then what's happening with the web is these costs are plummeting even further. But they're not disappearing <laughs> in an open market completely. If they did, in theory, then we wouldn't need corporations. Everyone could be an independent agent. I don't see that happening. Some people say that is going to occur, the Elance economy and so on. That'll be part of the economy, and it already is. you got 140,000 programmers on topcoder.com. They're just guns for hire. 
But hierarchies still have certain functions, and they'll be around for a while. The big issue, and the issue we tackle in economics, is if you're a traditional hierarchy, how can you hook up with these massive, heaving new communities and exploit them in a positive sense to help you innovate, and to help you create better uh, goods and services, to help you grow, be successful, and compete? YouTube is quite interesting because Google is a digital conglomerate in about nine different businesses, businesses, and one of them is media. So it would like to become a platform for all media. And there are lots of arguments on why that may actually be feasible. But YouTube, to me, is affecting that industry, and it's also illustrative of the fact that this is not just about social networking or hooking up online or creating a gardening community. This is becoming a new mode of production. It's enabling us to do all kinds of things, like find a better molecule, or to discover gold, or to build a better new generation jumbo jet, or to you know enable citizens to be journalists, or to participate more fully in popular culture. And we're really in the early days of decades of long-term deployment of these new technologies where we'll begin to fully, more fully understand their impact on, on the economy and on the world. I'll just go, go to one extreme, apropos to your question about is this just all for bits and uh, information uh, as opposed to physical things. Boeing, the new 787 Dreamliner, is, is designed and built along the principles of economics. So the old way, the Airbus way, is you create a big spec, 30,000 pages or something, and you put it out to your supply chain. It's a hierarchy. And you beat up on your suppliers and Eventually, you assemble the thing. And Boeing said, no, you're not suppliers, you're peers. I mean, you create important parts of the aircraft, like the engine, the fuselage, the electronics, the you know, entertainment systems. And we want to co-innovate this thing with you. So rather than a 30,000-page spec, here's a 20-page document talking about what we're trying to achieve with this aircraft. You know, this thing is so great. The back orders are so strong, the 787 Dreamliner compared to the Airbus that some people say may never come to market. And it sort of underlines the point to me that mass collaboration and economics may not be a better way of doing things, but maybe the only way going forward. Well, we are running slightly out of time, but I'm, I'm curious if maybe you can give some last words on uh, what businesses can do to harness this power of mass collaboration. Mm-hmm. The first thing, what I'll say to a business leader is show a little curiosity. Personal use is the precondition for any kind of comprehension. So go on to Wikipedia and edit something, or come to the Wikinomics uh, final chapter of the book where we're trying to create the definitive guide to the 21st century corporation, and just experience it. Have a blog, you know, join Facebook, <laughs> talk to your kids. That's an initial kind of personal action, but ultimately, really, this really gets down to business strategy. And a new paradigm, we have a, a, a program, actually, to help companies get going. It's called the Enterprise 2.0 Program. and It's a big ticket. It's $150,000 to join it. But for that, companies get millions of dollars of research and tools and models and, and advice that can help them get going. And that website, again, for uh, people who are interested? Well, Wikinomics.com, if you want to participate in the creation of the final chapter, and newparadigm.com if you're interested in, in the big issue of strategy and how to get going. Okay. And finally, um, how did you yourself become interested in this particular idea? Well, I've been kind of involved in this since the 70s. 1978, I was getting as many emails as I get today. <laughs> I wrote a book in 1981, essentially, about the Internet. 
they didn't sell very well, I have to tell you. I think my mother bought most of them. But, <laughs> but this has been a huge passion for me throughout my adult life, is how can these new computing and communications technologies transform the nature of work, the nature of organizations, and transform society for the better. Well, it certainly is, I think, a very fascinating idea, and I, I hope a lot of people will go take a look at the book. It is, of course, uh, Wikinomics, How Mass Collaboration is Changing Everything. Thank you. And you were just listening to Don Tapscott discussing Wikinomics. This is the Berkeley Grok's Science Show. Well, coming up in just a few minutes, it's the Grokatron 5000 and the world-famous Question of the Week. So stay tuned. Rockatron 5000, the topic, of course, is wiki or hierarchy. For number one, we have Donald Trump. Hierarchy. He's the archetypal command and control type leader. The old mom, great visionary, has a vision, sells it down, you don't perform, you're fired. <laughs> and number two is Paris Hilton. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd call her more like a wiki, actually, because she's a good example of self-organization. She's kind of like complexity unleashed, this sort of uh, uncontrolled molecule spinning out there in the uh, the economy and getting herself into various kinds of trouble. Also built a successful little business, so the two sides of it, I guess. Right, right. Uh, number three is Apple founder Steve Jobs. You know, he wouldn't like this, but I'd say hierarchy. I think Apple is a great company. I've been using the Mac since 84 myself. My entire company is Macintosh. My family of four people on seven iPods. I just gave an iPod to every one of my employees. And I think that company's totally sub-optimized in terms of what it could be doing. If it embraced the principles of economics, it would be a much more powerful, uh, faster-growing, and a very exciting company. Uh, number four is Steve's antithesis, Bill Gates. I, I think Bill Gates is in transition hierarchy to, uh, to Wiki. And, um, I mean... One wiki-like thing of Microsoft, of course, is they built this huge ecosystem that understood a division of labor, that you can't do everything inside the boundaries of your company, and the Microsoft Partner Network enabled Microsoft to dominate the operating system world. Having said that, Microsoft has tenaciously fought against all the trends towards self-organization, Linux, and so on. But this, com- this is a company in transition right now. And Bill Gates, personally, of course, is becoming a statesman and someone who's making an enormous contribution uh, to solving some critical problems on our little planet. So I'm going to cut him some slack and say it's wiki. Uh, finally, number five, the president of the United States, George Bush. 
Well, I'm not an American. I should probably stay out of trouble and not comment. You know, I, 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 I got to say President Bush is, is more hierarchy than Wiki, and he's in a lot of trouble right now because of that. All right. Uh, well, Professor Tavscott, I do want to thank you very much uh, again for joining us today on the Grok Science Show and talking about your book, Wikinomics. Well, and there's a role for science, so thanks very much. Yeah, hello, nice, uh, Herr Dr. Professor Einstein, with this question of the week. Yeah, so this Pareto equilibrium, what is it? Well, you have all sorts of different sorts of factors that involves this with the economics, and uh, when all these factors come together and they work out perfectly, you have equilibrium, and that's the Pareto equilibrium. And Bruce Lee, with this week's question of the week, you know, my Kung Fu Jutkinto is very powerful. It can break bricks, it can break walls, and it can break your neck, but it cannot break the stock market. I do not understand. It is so complicated, such a chaotic system. But how do they figure out the prices? Amazing, I think. But my friend used the Blackshaw equation. They beat the system. They beat the market. If you know or you think you know what the Blackshaw equation is, you can email us at grogs at hotmail.com. You won't win anything, but you'll beat the system. And that's all for this week's edition of Berkeley Grocks. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here at Berkeley Grocks, you can email us at grocks at hotmail.com. For Berkeley Grocks, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grocks.net. Have a great afternoon and stay tuned for more music. <laughs> <laughs>